and welcome to Christ the King this morning. As Peter mentioned, this is a special Sunday in the life of the church. This is a Sunday of world mission. The season of Epiphany, which we are in, is a great time to think about the light shining. That's, of course, what an Epiphany is. It's the shining of a light. And the mission of the church has been our focus throughout this series of shine, how you and I can continue to shine. And this Sunday is the time where we turn our thoughts to the worldwide mission of the church. It's an important subject. All of us have a tendency, or I'll certainly speak for myself, I think we can all be a little myopic, a little parochial. Uh, quarantining and pandemics have not helped it. Uh, we tend to kind of just stay in our bubbles, stay out, you know, it, we, not looking outside of what's going on in the world. And that's somewhat unavoidable, but not entirely helpful. So it is good for us to turn our eyes and turn our attention to the vast wide world. And with that, I'll turn our attention to Matthew chapter 28. As we have throughout this sermon series, we're going to hear from one of our mission partners, our overseas mission partners this week. Because we will hear from them, my remarks this morning will be brief. I note in our passage, and you can circle this as you follow along, I note the three important uses of the word all. Verse 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Verse 19, Jesus commissions his church to go to all nations. The third and final use of the word all is found in verse 20. Go and teach all nations to observe all that I have commanded you. So three important uses of the word all. And from that, our sermon outline is we will see the all-encompassing authority of Christ. Some sermon notes are printed in the back of your service leaflet. The all-encompassing authority of Christ, the global mission of the church to all nations, and the Christ-centered mission of the church, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. First, the complete authority of Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, the authority of Christ is a well-attested fact in the Gospels. From page one of the Gospels, Jesus is introduced to us as someone who has authority, a phenomenal amount of authority. Interestingly, though, Jesus is never saying, hey, look at all the authority I have. He's only going about his normal business, and people around him, his disciples, his distractors, are saying, wow, that guy seems to have a phenomenal amount of authority. For instance, uh, when Jesus teaches, people say, wow, here is a new teaching and one that has authority. That from Mark chapter 1. Jesus claims to forgive sins and his detractors say, wow, who is this who has authority to forgive sins? Jesus calms the waves and the waters and his disciples say, who is this who has authority? And it's never Jesus saying, look at my authority. Jesus is just doing his thing and he is credited as someone who has authority authority and a phenomenal amount of authority. The only place that I can think of where Jesus actually says, I have authority, is right here in Matthew 20, 28. And the reason that Jesus does not claim his authority until then is because he has not fully just displayed his authority until now. You see, the ultimate display of Jesus' authority is not in the calming of the wind and the waves, as impressive as that is. The ultimate display of Jesus' authority is not in his, in his teaching, as authoritative as that was. It's not in his healing. It's not in the authoritative display of Jesus is in the resurrection from the grave. As it says in the New Testament, not even the grave could hold him back. 
And this is the authoritative display of Christ, or the, 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 the display of his authority. You and I, we kid ourselves. We tell ourselves things like the circle of life continues and you'll live on in your memories of those. No. We forget how inexorable, unforgiving, unyielding, uncompromising the grave is. And without the resurrection, you're just gone. There is nothing left. It's only through our hope in Christ of his conquering over the grave that we have any of these things that we hope for, that we live on, uh, that we'll see our loved ones. And when Jesus rose from the grave, he uh, conquered that last unconquerable foe. And uh, the early church knew this with a little bit more vividness than we do. They, they recognized how final the grave was, and therefore they recognized what a big deal it was that Jesus rose from it. And my favorite quote uh, that, des uh, that describes the, the triumph of Jesus from the grave comes from this fellow named Melito. He was a bishop of Sardis writing the year 190 AD. Such a good quote. You could cue the Rocky music, it's that good. Uh, Bishop of Sardis wrote this, 190. The Lord Jesus, when he had suffered for the sake of those who suffer, was judged for the sake of the condemned, buried for the sake of the bound, rose from the grave and cried aloud, now who will enter into judgment against me? Let him stand and face me. I have given the dead life. I have raised up the one in tomb. I have dissolved death. I have triumphed over the enemy. I have trodden down Hades. I have brought the strong man down. I am the Christ. The bishop continues, this one is king. This one is Jesus. This one is the Lord. This one is he who has risen from the dead. To him be glory to the end of all ages. Jesus claims authority, that all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me only after the supreme display of his authority when he rose from the grave. And because he has all authority, all worship and honor is due to him, and we should strive to give him what he deserves, the worship and honor of all nations, to, so to our second use of the word all. Jesus, with all authority, commissions his followers to go to all nations. Laman Sana is a professor. He wrote a book with a provocative title, Whose Religion is Christianity? What he meant, does Christianity belong to a particular culture, tribe, people, political party? Who gets to claim Christianity? His answer is no one. Christianity does not belong to a particular culture, nation, tribe, tongue, uh, Period. Christianity does not belong to one culture because it is for every culture. Now this is not true of every other religion. You probably know that to convert to some religions, conversion also means enculturation. That's not true of Christianity. Conversion to Christianity does not mean adopting the culture of whoever, uh, the, the, missional, the, the culture of the missionaries who brought Christianity. And this is explored in this book by Lamansana, whose, whose religion is Christianity. He is from Gambia, a country in West Africa. And he writes this, the people, his people responded to Christianity where the indigenous religions were the strongest, not the weakest, suggesting a degree of compatibility with the gospel. Do you hear the point he's making? It is the people of his native country who were most religious, most uh, spiritual, that responded best to the gospel. 
Why is that? He postulates his people sensed in their hearts that Jesus did not mock their respect for the sacred or their clamor for an invincible savior. So they beat their sacred drums for him. Christianity helped Gambians become renewed Gambians, not remade Europeans. You see his point. Christianity is no one's because Christianity is for everyone. And one of the most compelling images of eternity we heard read is from Revelation chapter 7. A great multitude, I read beginning in the verse 9. A great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes, from all people, from all language, all stood before the throne of God, crying, salvation belongs to our God and to him who sits upon the throne. And what I love about this passage is it does not say that they were all one nation. They were all one tribe. They all spoke along one language. No, it says every tribe, every nation, every people, every language. It's distinct in their culture, distinct in their language, distinct in their ethnicity, yet all unified in praise. Meaning the Gambians with the drums, the Scots with their bagpipes, the organ, the, the, the various ways of every culture is embodied in that eternal worship. What a sight. Christianity, is to say it again, does not belong to any nation culture because Christianity is for every nation, every culture. Go, therefore, to all nations. The global mission of the church, third and final, the Christ-centered mission of the church. Go to all nations and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, that being verse 20. The disciples of Christ are to make other disciples of Jesus Christ. They are to baptize Jesus, the nations, into the name of Jesus. They are to teach all nations everything that Jesus had taught. In other words, the mission of the church is a Christ-centered, explicitly religious mission. Jesus is central to the mission of the church, in other words. And I flag this only because it is possible for us to think of the mission of the church in strictly humanitarian terms. Isn't the mission of the church to help people? Yes, yes it is. Uh, but what kind of help? Should the church give educational aid, medical aid, uh, political aid, help in any number of ways? Absolutely. And throughout our sermon series, you have heard number of ways in which you, this church, has partnered in very generous ways to help uh, the communities around us. And that is very important. But here, as Jesus commissions his disciples, he reminds them of the explicitly Christ-centered focus of their mission. In other words, every other religion is not the same. There's something specific about Jesus, that he alone rose from the grave, that forgiveness is found only through him. The help that Christians take to the world is a religious help. Not explicitly, not solely, but that is the one unique thing that you and I have to offer. In other words, you can be, you can be a perfectly secular atheist and be a pretty good guy. The missionaries of the church offer something other than just help. They offer Jesus. And Jesus, as he commissions his disciples, reminds his disciples, of his centrality to their mission. So, three points. From the all-encompassing authority of Christ comes the universal and Christ-centered mission of the church. Three implications. Number one, the church is irrevocably missional. 
Churches that do not go out, people, churches who do not send others into the world is a sick church, period. The same Jesus who says, come to me, is the same Jesus who says, go. We who come as a prodigal, go as a good Samaritan. And each of us go into the world to love and serve the Lord in a variety of ways. And one of the important ways that we go is we go to the nations. We must have a worldwide vision because God is a worldwide God. He loves the world. He sends his followers into the world. And we can have our blinders on to the places of the world in which it is still illegal to claim the name of Christ. Places where our missionary, mission partners operate. Places like Somalia. These are the places to which the church must go. We must have a worldwide vision. Second implication. Third and final, we must remember the priority of Jesus Christ and the mission of the church, of all the hope the church can and should give. I don't want to diminish any of the humanitarian aid, medical, water, etc., all very important, but our unique contribution is in the clear proclamation of Jesus Christ who bore the sins of the world and was raised to life eternal. Christ the King has two very two important two overseas mission partners. Each in their own way have gone when Jesus said go. They serve in places where either the church is not very well established or the name of Christ is not known at all. And each in their way seek to make clear the good news of Jesus Christ. We'll take about 10 minutes and I want you to hear from them. Hello, Christ the King family. We are so happy to be here with you. We miss you all, and we want to welcome you to our new living room. We've been in the, the Emirates for about two months now, two and a half months. Um, we spent about a month and a half in Dubai, because uh, we could go there with no COVID restrictions. And uh, kind of surprisingly, just the Lord provided, we thought we'd have to start a, a company and it would be a long process. A man that we knew from Morocco um, has an artificial intelligence company. And what we want to do touches with ethics and artificial intelligence and things. So he offered to provide residency to his company, which we did. Um, we were here exactly 40 days. It was Christmas Eve. The night before, we got a text that our residency cards were ready, which is the final step in that mm -hmm. permanent residency process. So we signed up to get the Pfizer vaccine. And just a couple days ago, we got our second dose of the Pfizer vaccine. So now we're done with that. And that was really a blessing from the Lord to be able to um, do that. Um, after we were here two months, mid-January, we rented an apartment where we're at now. It's a ground floor apartment, two bedroom apartment, and it's just what we were looking for, the price that our budgeted price that we had. Mm -hmm. And it was really of the Lord. The location is very good. Yes, I wanted a place that was kind of like Alexandria in relation to Washington, D.C. So 15 minutes into the city, but out in the suburbs, to, for it to be more quiet and more um, suburban feel, and that's exactly what the Lord gave us. So I was very grateful for that. 
So we moved to Abu Dhabi in early January. Um, we had contact with the Anglican rector. St. Andrews is the Anglican church here. Um, the first week that we went there, by God's providence, the Anglican Archbishop for the whole Middle East was in town, Michael Lewis. Um, we had previously met the rector and had tea with him, and he said, you must meet the Archbishop. So we had a, a very good meeting with him, both of whom are very supportive of the projects that we're doing. So that was really neat to see how the Lord is arranging these different things. Um, also, right the first day we were in the Anglican Church, there was a guy behind us after the service. We talked to him, and I gave him my card. He gave me his card, and it ends up that he's the head petroleum engineer for the National Oil Company, which is the only oil company. It's a monopoly, and he's the head of petroleum engineering. It was very amazing, and I, I said, well, I'm a petroleum engineer, and, and he knows my professors from Penn State, and we've met them several times, and so I think that's a neat thing. He's also an ordained Anglican priest, and I thought that was really amazing that he, along the way, would have been ordained and, and uh, as a priest. So it, it's really neat to see what the, the Lord is doing. Um, we, the other thing that was neat is meeting another Emirati guy um, who's well-known and has a uh, social media following and as a side thing he raises camels so he invited us to camel races it's a camel racing season so we'll be doing that soon um, we also met uh, two key professors at the two main universities here three actually the three main universities one of whom is um, on the templeton foundation board and and does science and faith and and offered to help us and promote it and how we can do things. So just in closing, do pray. We, we still need to meet some key government officials for them to get behind our projects. Um, the ambassador from the UAE in the U.S. in Washington had a recent phone call with him and he's very supportive and said he will, he will arrange those meetings. So that's kind of the next step for us is doing that and seeing where the Lord leads from there. So we just want to thank you for your um, your support of us and um, for your prayers for us. We need those prayers, and we just are excited to see what God is going to do through our partnership together. Thank you. Thank you all. God bless you.